The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Mr. Joseph Fornerado, a very under the weather because of his stinking kids, Joe Forno. Joe, how are you, buddy, other than little little cruddy? No, I'm actually okay. I'm, I'm recovering. Uh, kids had it worse than I did, luckily, uh, for me, not luckily for... Actually, that's not really luckily for anyone. I'd rather be sick than them because it's a lot easier to take care of myself than them. But uh, <laughs> right. um, everyone's recovering. We're good. Nothing nothing crazy. Just typical typical this time of the year for kids being in school and all that crap. But uh, we're good. I'm glad I was able to get this in and, and not be too bad. If I have a coughing spell, I will hit the mute button so nobody has to hear me. And hopefully my voice holds up. So we're good. You know what's funny about that, and I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but you know, we have the three teenagers in the house. And yeah, that was one of my fear when they moved in is that, you know, because you hear all these nightmare stories about kids going to school and getting everybody sick and bringing it home. And, you know, that has not been the case with them. They have not got us sick one time. In fact, when Megan and I had COVID to kick off 2023, they didn't even get sick. So, yeah, it must be more of a little kid thing. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's more of a little kid thing. My daughter just started kindergarten, so she's like right in the heart of it. And so she's the one that brings all the germs home to us. <laughs> but it is what it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we are not here to talk about uh, sickness. Although, you know, maybe a little cold we're going to talk about today. Because, you know, of course, we are talking about Mr. Freeze. Um, we are talking an anniversary once again. And this one is, what is it? Is this 25 years, Joe? Uh, yes, 25 years, 1998. Yes, we are talking the Batman the Animated Series film, Batman and Mr. Freeze, Sub-Zero. Uh, so it was actually Joe, Joe gets the credit on this one. I didn't realize this movie was coming up on 25 years, um, but it was released in March of 1998. Originally, if, if, if it had worked out as it was supposed to, we would have talked about this movie last year and we'll get into that, but <laughs> it was released in March of 1998. So we're right around that uh, 25 year mark. So we decided it would be a good time to talk about it. So without further ado, let's get into Batman and Mr. Freeze, Sub-Zero.
All right, Joe. So again, we are talking about this 25-year-old animated film, which is uh, the second of the four DCAU Batman films. Uh, and it is kind of a sequel to Mask of the Phantasm. Not really, very loosely. Um, but it is, I, I would say, a sequel to the Mr. Freeze story in the animated series. Is that fair? It seems to almost act as like a bridge between the animated series and the new adventures to an extent, it, or maybe just an extension of Batman, the animated series, because it is, like you said, it continues the Mr. Freeze story. And I don't know how much you want to get into it right away, but it actually made them um, change the content of an episode uh, to the new adventures. It- it did, and since we're talking about like kind of the lead up to the movie, because uh, we're in, because before we kind of dive into some of the story points, yeah, um, that is an interesting fact that I was reading as well. That Bruce Tim had no idea that Boyd Kirkland and Randy uh, is it Rogel, Rogel? Randy Rogel. Luckily, it just came on the screen for me as you were saying that. <laughs> yeah, so. It, Bruce Tim had no idea that they were writing this story and it, it sounds like it kind of got sprung on him and he had already uh, had a story idea for resurrecting Nora freeze. And then uh, they presented this movie. Apparently it was, it was going to get made and Bruce Tim had to change an episode. Now I didn't dive much into what the changes were or what, what happened after that. Did you read any of that Joe? So it's actually, it's the holiday nights episode. And it was based off mm-hmm. of the Holiday Nights issue in the comic series. So it was already mm-hmm. written, and he was going to adapt the the comic into the episode. He had to leave the Mr. Freeze part of that issue off because the story didn't match what happens in this movie, apparently. I don't remember much about that issue as far as the Mr. Freeze story goes, but apparently in that story, she has passed away. And obviously in this movie, she survives. So it would have changed the dynamic of the continuity here if they adapted it perfectly. So I guess he just chose to leave it off. And I guess for time's sake, it worked out because they adapted three stories from that comic and it fit the 22 minute episode perfectly. Yeah. And that's not the only like change that was made because of other outside influences. Um, This movie was also meant to be a tie-in to 1997's Batman and Robin. Of course, you know, we have the the Mr. Freeze connection there. Um, But then Batman and Robin came out and which is interesting to me because how long before or after was this supposed to come out? But because they, uh, did they already know it was bad? I don't know. Yeah, that part is a little fuzzy to me because I remember when this came out, you know, the following year. But yeah, when was that decision made? Or I mean, because, you know, this is pre it's not pre Internet completely, but it's pre it predates when we actually followed this stuff like like we do now, obviously. So I don't know when that was determined or when they decided, Okay, let's hold off on this. Was it? Was it before the movie even came out and they kind of saw the writing on the wall already? Like, it's it's very interesting how they made that. Because you would think this was supposed to come out prior to the movie if it was going to tie in, right? Or to at least push the film? Or 
I mean, if it was going to come out right after, I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and for all intents and purposes, I mean, there, the information on the internet is sketchy at best. I mean, you know, there, there's stuff on Wikipedia, there's stuff on the wiki links. Um, and all of it kind of looks like it was supposed to be some sort of tie in for Batman and Robin. And then of course, you know, it's release date was pushed back supposedly after poor reception of Schumacher's film. Now that doesn't really tell us whether that was after the movie had premiered or whether that was during, you know, whether the studio didn't like the movie, but from all things I've ever heard, you know, people were raving about the dailies that they were seeing when Batman and Robin was being made. So I don't know. It's kind of tricky how that works out. You know, it's like you said, it's kind of fuzzy. It's confusing a bit. Yeah, and there's not a lot um, of information behind this film in general. No. Um, and and I will say this, uh, for a even for a DC animated film, this is an exercise in brevity. This is not a long film whatsoever. Um, you know, most of the DC animated films we get what, about an hour fifteen out of them, something like that. Yeah, at the at the low hour- Yeah. This one's 66 minutes. So it's a tight, it's just over an hour. And I mean, you cut the credits off. We may be talking about right at an hour. I didn't look at the, I didn't look at the clock. Um, as, as I was watching it the other day, but yeah, it's, it's very brief. Uh, but I don't think that they really cut it too tight. Uh, I do think maybe it could have used a few more minutes with, with some story beats that we'll get into. Um, but overall, man, I really like this movie and fun fact, it's one of the highest rated Batman movies so far as reviews that has ever been released. And that, that includes live action or, um, animation. I don't know if you saw that or not, Jeff. No, I actually didn't look at any of that stuff as far as the reviews and everything like that. But, um, I could see that though, especially with the time it came out where, I mean, having come right off of Batman and Robin, people were probably much more likely to forgive any misgivings this had, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Okay. So here's a fun fact for you on rotten tomatoes. Uh, the only Batman movie that has a higher rating than this one is the dark Knight. Wow. Even mask of the phantasm is a little lower than this one. Ratings wise. I don't think, which I, I know you mask- do. I didn't realize Mask of the Phantasm would have been lower than Dark Knight. Yeah, it's got a uh, 87 and the Dark Knight has a 94. Hmm. Which I know, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is not the end all be all, but for, for these intensive purposes, it is an interesting fact. Um, but yeah, and I don't know that I, I definitely don't like this one better than Mask of the Phantasm, but I can see why a lot of people did at the time and, and definitely do now. What's interesting, uh, and I think I'll, I'll wrap it up here on the, on the kind of priors that I have before we talk about the story. I think that the production quality, the animation, I think it's actually better. It's crisper. It looks better in this film than it does in mask of the phantasm. 
Which is odd considering this one is straight to video where Mask of the Phantasm had that weird production where it was supposed to be straight to video and then they gave him a little bit more budget later on to get it to theaters. And so this one, I guess they kind of knew what it was going in. So maybe that's why it does have that consistent look throughout. Yeah, and I couldn't find anything on the budget for this one. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um. So I don't know if it was higher than Mask of the Phantasm, if it was similar, I don't know. But there's definitely more use of the kind of digital um, technology so far as it almost sort of, is it? would you consider it CGI with like the bat wing and things like that? Yeah, it's like that early, early uh, style of like they use it more for just the 3D scopes of certain things. Mm hmm. Um, I really noticed it at the beginning of the movie. There was a submarine and I noticed it every time they use the bat wing uh-huh. is that it, it, that, that style kicked in, Yeah, which, you know, had to have been a little bit of a, more of an expense, but even the, even the regular hand-drawn animation, there's just moments in the movie where it looks, I mean, top notch and even surpasses, I think the look of mask of the phantasm at times, but Anyway, let's kind of get into the story and we're not going to do a spoiler free section or anything like that. This is a 25 year old movie. So be warned. Um, We're just going to kind of talk about this movie. Uh, But Joe, I I guess a good starting point is what are some what are some maybe nitpicks? We'll start a little negative if you have any. And then what are some highlights of the film for you? I wouldn't say I really have any nitpicks other than maybe. And I wouldn't even call this a nitpick because I think it it could be even an advantage is the shorter runtime. Um, maybe it would have been better to have a little bit of a long runtime, but I think it it's kind of refreshing to just watch this, you know, quick Batman animated film that really just gets to the point, still fleshes out the story enough, and you get some great action. And uh, yeah, like I, I can't think of any really huge negatives the one thing I'll say that caught me off guard is because I haven't seen this in a while. I'll admit, I was like, oh, this is like a huge Batgirl story. I can't remember who voices her. Is it Melissa Gilbert or Tara Strong? And <laughs> it's neither. Did you remember that it was a different Batgirl actress, uh, voice actress for this? So I did not remember before we watched the before I watched the film. Um, I knew as, as I was watching the movie that the voice didn't sound, I knew it wasn't Tara strong. Um, but then I was kind of surprised when I looked at the cast listing and it was Mary Kay Bergman, who I have no knowledge of. None. I did some research on her, um, from, uh, from watching it. I, I, you know, unfortunately she passed away really young. And um, she did voice act voice acting for like South Park and some Disney films. But this was her only part. Um, this was her only role of Barbara Gordon or her. I'm sorry, her only uh, chance to do Barbara Gordon. And I don't think I've ever heard her name come up at all when we talk about Barbara Gordon. Like, I don't know if everyone just assumes without watching it that it is Melissa. Is it Melissa Gilbert? Um I think that's who I always assumed it was either Melissa Gilbert or Tara Strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 
uh, like you said, I, I had no idea and it, that it was a different actress until I actually looked at the at the casting. So good call there. And it's um, jarring. But I thought like, she did. I a... think she, yeah, she does fine. It's just jarring because mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it. Like in, it's like that. Um, uh, what's it? Uh, Mandela effect. Where like in my head, it was always Tara Strong. I guess. And I think it's the most jarring when she first arrives at the party at yeah. the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. When she's talking to to Jim and Bruce, it's like, whoa, that is not the voice I expected. And then it kind of. It kind of blends yeah. as you keep watching the movie, and 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 I think it starts to not be that big of a deal afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so I hate to put that in the negative side, but I guess it's just for continuity's sake. I would put it in a nitpick, but it does mm-hmm. not detract from the film whatsoever. Yeah. Um, for me, so far as like any nitpicks I may have, there's very very few. Um, but I would say one is the runtime just because, I mean, I felt like it was, it started, it was over real quick, which can have its benefits because it's got endless rewatchability, which funnily enough, I haven't watched this one as much as others. But I think my biggest nitpick is, so I really like that freeze, you know, we've kind of chipped through his, you know, his exterior and he started to open up a little bit. And we see that through his, you know, this surrogate son that he has in Kunak. But I don't think there was enough Kunak in the movie to really invest you in him. If that makes sense. Like it, it kind of like at the beginning of the movie, he's there. Um, most of the bulk of the middle of the movie, you don't see him. And then he's kind of back in the climax of the movie. And, I mean, I guess just putting a child in danger is it was enough for them to to uh, give us stakes there. But I would have liked to have known a little more because you do hear Kunak say at one point, you know, he tells Barbara that his his parents died. um, And that's how he ended up with Freeze. But that's kind of lo- a loose tie. Like, you don't know how he went from losing his parents to Freeze. It just mm-hmm. there it is. So I would have loved to have had more of Kunak. Like, why is he in the position that he's in? Does that make sense? I can see from a filmmaking standpoint why you would want that. In a Mm -hmm. Batman film, I don't need it. I think we get enough of Kunak and enough from um, seeing Mr. Freeze take care of him to show that he's not... This is going to be terrible. He's not as cold as he might seem. He's, I, I, <laughs> I knew I one of I'm us sorry. was going to do it. I, I just, you know, it's he's not just a full-on villain. And I think that's the only reason he's there. Um, is to show he can still I get, have compassion. I get what you're saying, but we have Nora for that. I, I understand. I'm, and, but I think after the movie starts and he kills like all those military people for no reason, they like needed more to balance that out. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I I I feel like, I feel like there's, you know, there's a hour 15 hour 20, uh, you know, cut of this movie somewhere where we get a little more Kunak and, and why he's in this position. (laughs) Um, maybe if it, maybe if this was theatrical, we would have, I don't know. Yeah. And then, but other than that, I mean, yeah, the runtime and, and the Kunak thing, that's really all I have uh, for negatives. But uh, so far as highlights for you, Joe, what were some highlights for you? 
honestly the biggest highlight is seeing um batman and robin be perfect partners in this there is no conflict between Mm -hmm. the two of them throughout this movie at all is there no not that i saw the only the only moment of conflict is really just a strategic or you know batman being batman at the end when he makes uh when he makes robin go to the to the bat wing to wait for them. And Robin yeah, and I, kinda... yeah. And I don't see that even as a conflict. That's more of a, you got to get out of here, get yeah. them to safety so I can do what I need to do. Um, right. I love that. We just get a full on Batman and Robin film where there's no stupid conflict between the two of them. And, and sometimes that could be fun. I, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I think the conflict can work sometimes. Actually, that will give me another nitpick because I would have loved to have seen more of Batgirl. Um, we we see Barbara more in distress in this film as almost like a damsel in distress than seeing her as Batgirl. Now, I will say they handle her being the hostage well because she handles herself very well. She's not just a typical damsel in distress. She is still Barbara. She's still doing her thing to get out herself. She's not helpless. But I would have loved to have seen her maybe in the Batgirl costume in the final act when she escapes. That would have been cool. But you can't really work that in logistically um you know that might be you know that's true because you yeah because you said at the beginning that um this was sort of a batgirl movie but it's not really i mean it's more of a kind of a barbara gordon story because you we see batgirl fighting before the party scene at the beginning for just a few minutes and then you don't see her in costume for the rest of the movie exactly like if you take that scene away you might even question whether she is currently batgirl throughout the film like it could take place pre Batgirl, but they do establish that she is Batgirl. It takes place after the animated series where we know she's been Batgirl. But yeah, so that's a little disappointing. Um, but for the you know for the storytelling purposes, I get why they did it. It's it's convenient mm-hmm. to have her be the one with the blood uh, the blood type and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think my highlight, and honestly, the biggest highlight of this movie is. The third act of this is just awesome. Like, could you imagine this third act as a live action film? Oh, geez. It would, it would be a Michael Bay film, <laughs> but it would be great. It would be great. Cause there was, there were explosions everywhere right there at the end of that movie. Yes. Um, yeah. So far as like big highlights for me, um, firstly, I know that Bruce Tim hates this movie. Because, first of all, he had to change an episode for it. Secondly, uh, these creators put Barbara and Dick Grayson in a relationship. And we all know that Bruce Tim has that creepy thing with trying to put Bruce with Barbara. Um, so, you know, he hates this movie. But I love uh, I love Dick and Barbara as a couple. Um, so I really like that there. And I love the little joking back and forth uh, at the beginning between Jim Gordon and Dick Grayson. About Barbara. Yep. Uh, I, I love that. That's a, that's a neat little like back and forth there. My favorite part of this movie though, honestly is kind of, I don't know. It's kind of funny that this is my favorite part because it's real brief and it's right at the beginning and it has nothing to do with the actual animated characters. I love the way this movie opens because it feels like a Tim Burton era Batman movie. Uh-huh. starting it, it's definitely yeah i could see that 
I love the bat symbol kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're tracing the bat symbol kind of like the Tim Burton movies did. Oh, definitely. And then you get that vibe. Yeah. And then you get the Danny Elfman score. It sweeps up into this, you know, you hear like the ice gun and the, the symbol goes frozen and shatters in, in true 90 style. You have to have ice shattering. Right. Um, <laughs> and then you get the sub zero and the bat symbol is, is a really cool opening. And I think it really got me pumped to watch this movie at the beginning. So yeah, I, I really liked that. And then, you know, you could call this movie kind of repetitive with the Mr. Freeze story because it is Mr. Freeze trying to get a cure for Nora again. Um, but that for some reason, this version of Mr. Freeze and this, this story that they go through is just so damn compelling. And even though there are some, some tropish elements here, like, of course we, we get Barbara Gordon at the beginning of the movie. Of course, she is the only person in Gotham who has the exact blood type that Nora has. They both have share this rare blood type. And that's what causes freeze to go after her because he needs, he needs an organ transplant uh, to save Nora. So yes, there are some tropes there, but it's entertaining and it's a, it's a great story. And I love that this villain, this Batman villain in particular isn't just out for chaos like the Joker or greed because it needs money or, you know, just a, a random crook. I do really, really like uh, the methodology behind why Mr. Freeze does what he does. And I think it works out very well in this movie because even though you have seen a softer side of him with Kunak and trying to preserve uh, Nora and trying to help her continually, at the end of the day, when he wants something, there's... When, especially when it comes to Nora, there's no stopping him and he doesn't care who he has to hurt to get to, to accomplish his goal. Um, so yeah, so far as that, I think this is, were there, were there free stories in the new Batman adventures after this movie? I can't remember, Joe. There's definitely one. There's that weird one where he's like in like a, I'm trying to remember if that was the new adventures or if that was, there's definitely one because he's got a different suit. He's a different design. Um, and then there's also the episode of Batman Beyond where he's like in a weird robot costume and stuff. Yeah, he's the spider thing that crawls yeah. out of the suit. Um, mm-hmm. But there's definitely a New Adventures episode because he he I remember the different design. Um, I don't remember the storyline. Uh, I don't remember what exactly happens. Like it's very possible Nora dies in that one. I, I don't remember. But. Um, Oh, go ahead. Well, there, there is, um, so there is trivia. Uh, okay. So it, it takes place before the flashbacks in the new Batman adventures episode, old wounds. Um, also picks up after the events of deep freeze and Batgirl returns the final two episodes of the animated series. So yeah, um, so apparently there is a little bit more of him in the new Batman Adventures, but for whatever reason, I cannot remember what that episode was. Um, yeah, I don't remember the title or anything like that, but I, all I could say is I know there was a different design. So I know he definitely showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try to look up the episode itself. 
but Okay, here we go. In the new Batman Adventures episode, Cold Comfort, Batgirl states that Nora Freeze was revived. Her husband never came to see her. Uh, however, the episode aired before this film, which was released, which may have spoiled the ending. And oh. also, Bruce tells Freeze that Wayne Enterprises helped save Nora, prematurely revealing her fate. <laughs> huh. So, interesting fact there. Which makes sense because if they originally meant this movie to air in 97, then you can't just put the brakes on a whole animated series that's running. Exactly. So, yeah, makes sense. Um, but in, any more any more highlights for you, Joe? I think, I think the whole chase with Dick Grayson going after Barbara in the truck is a really fun action beat for Dick. Um it does kind of harken back to Mask of the Phantasm, where Bruce is, is doing his thing prior. I think that's a pre-Batman chase, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's prior to when he actually has the suit and everything like that. But it, it kind of reminded me of that. Like, he's not in his Robin suit, but he get, he's still being Robin in that, you know, situation, trying to save Bar- Barbara. And I love the interaction between him and Jim in the are they in the hospital where he's trying to say like, I'm so sorry. I, you know, didn't get her. And, and he's like, I know you tried your hardest. Like, I, I love that moment between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. And and I will say one thing that I really loved in the movie. And I just thought about this. Um, the, the actual detective work between, you know, Dick and Bruce in the movie. Um, I love that, that sequence where they're trying to figure out where freeze has taken Barbara. And, you know, they're, they're watching, they're listening to, was it footage or, or audio and the Bruce hears a ship's foghorn Mm -hmm. and they use that to kind of triangulate where, where he's at. I love that, that you see actual detective work in it. Cause sometimes that's a skipped over aspect. Everybody calls him the world's greatest detective, but you don't always see it. So I love when they take a moment to actually show that. Exactly. And it's just a quick thing. It's not like he's, you know, there's also that, you know, people want him to, you know, being a detective means, you know, using a magnifying glass and doing all this stuff. Like he's not has, he doesn't have test tubes out and he's examining things. No, he's just, he's observing and that's him being a detective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's also, I mean, the story aspect of what freeze is trying to do is pretty dark. Um, and I know we talk all the time about how, you know, the, the Batman, the animated series has some more, you know, adult themes and it's not just geared directly for kids. It, it has things for adults, too. But in the movie, I mean, what he wants to do, I mean, he is going to kill Barbara Gordon to save his wife. I mean, that's it. They say the words that you're not allowed to say in the animated series in this, too. Like they say kill. They say die. Um Mm-hmm. There are deaths in this film, which I don't think they were ever really able to show in the animated series. But like I said earlier, like he kills, I would assume it's the Navy in the submarine. He kills all them men. Like we never hear anything about those men for the rest of the film. Correct. No, because you know, in, in like a, in a normal Batman, in the animated series episode, you know, Batman would get there in time to you know to thaw the people save their lives or we just like that, hear but... that like oh it they melted and they were fine like we'd hear something here they're 
they're dead for all intents and purposes, as far as I'm concerned. Well, they're in the Arctic, so they're not going to thaw. Exactly. <laughs> so- like, they're, they're, like they have to be dead. And so that right off the bat shows how determined freeze is like nothing is going to stop him from doing this and he even lies to kunik about um you know barbara will be fine and then when kunik finds out that no like they're gonna kill barbara to do this transplant like that's when kunik kind of turns on freeze well and kunik almost becomes the the hero of the story here (laughs) because you know if not for him and the whole destruction that 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 little incident caused i mean the surgery might very well have happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I really like that. Um, I also, I don't know. I love it when this happens, the kind of awkward, will they, won't they uh, partnership that happens sometimes with Batman and his villains. It's, it tends to happen with Mr. Freeze quite a bit, especially if you, you know, if you like you play the Arkham video games and stuff like that, they're always, has to end up being like this uneasy alliance between Batman and Mr. Freeze or even like in the, in the white Knight books, there's a little bit of a alliance between Bruce and, and Victor. Um, but at the end of the movie here, you know, freeze is trapped under rubble and his leg is broken. He's going to die. And of course, Batman saves him and freeze ends up helping in the end, helping everyone escape. And, you know, he supposedly falls to his doom. You know, it's very much a Disney villain ending here, mm-hmm. you know, cause you see him fall supposedly to his death, but we all know he's not dead. So I, I did kind of want to ask you, what did you think of the conclusion here? How they wrapped up the story? Um, not really with the very ending with what happened there. We'll talk about that in a moment, but just kind of the big conclusion of, freeze supposedly falling to his death well i love it and i also love that they have the i will say the guts to show batman failing a lot of people take credit um take exception to when batman fails to save someone i personally Mm -hmm. like that they made the determination to say yeah batman tried to save freeze he went out of his way to try to save him but that thing hits his arm and he loses his grip on the on freeze and drops him and freeze falls to his death as far as Batman is concerned. And yeah, Batman doesn't kill him, but he also fails to save him. Granted. Yes. We find out freeze is still alive at the end, but I like that for a second, Batman has to decide like, or Batman has to live with the fact that, Oh, I I couldn't save him. And they don't harp on it too much. Like Batman knows he didn't do it on purpose, that kind of thing. But I still like when they do things like that, where it's not just as easy as, oh, Batman finds a way. I always like when they they put him in a situation where sometimes it's not possible. Um, So I, I and I, I really like the whole third act. I like the whole thing of Bruce and, and Freeze trying to get, or um, I like how when they have to go down there, um, Barbara says like, I have to go because I have to show you where to go. Like that's, there's a logical reason for why Barbara has to go and not Dick. Like, I like that whole determination. And that's why Robin has to get the Batwing. Everyone has a, a logistical purpose in this film. And I, I think it's done like for an hour and six minutes with credits. I think the storytelling is done really well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, 
and I will say like, so far as we were going to get to the ending and I do want to talk about that. Now I love the ending in this movie. Um, when we find out, you know, Bruce has, and they don't even show Nora Mm -hmm. and they don't have to, but they tell you that Nora has revived, uh, and that Wayne, you know, Wayne enterprise paid for it. and, And they came up with the, you know, the, the cure for her, uh, they have got her revived. And then you, you kind of cut to this cabin in a snowy location. They don't tell you where I don't think, um, just as in the Arctic, I think. Um, but you know, freeze walks up to this window and he's watching through the window and you can, you can see that he knows the news. He knows Nora's alive. And you see like a tear roll down his face and you see him walk away and he's still got like the ice cast that he's created for his leg. So he's kind of stumbling away, Uh but it's a very happy, you know, it's kind of a melancholy and yet a very happy ending for freeze. Cause although he is not with Nora, he has the knowledge that that she's alive and we know that freeze is alive. And honestly, if they, if they would have have ended his story, in the DCAU right there, I think it would have been for the best, honestly. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part of getting, and I don't remember much about Cold Comfort. I think that's what you said it was called, just Cold Comfort for yeah. New Adventures. And I don't remember being particularly happy with the version of him in Batman Beyond. So it's a shame that it goes on like that because this would be a perfect ending. Um, but it is what it is. Um, you know, you can in your own head canon, you could say this is a perfect ending and just pretend like the other stuff doesn't happen. Unfortunately, if you aren't able to do that, then yes, it does. The story does continue, but this as a movie on its own is a really great Mr. Freeze story to go with heart of ice or to go with the other stories that we've already gotten prior. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you right now, there's a, there's a little continuity section I'm reading right here where it says in cold comfort, um, Freeze's condition has deteriorated his body and Nora has left him for her doctor. See that, that screams of Bruce Tim right there. <laughs> like, I, like why do that? Like so um, you had this beautiful, yeah, you had this beautiful, perfect ending with um, Sub-Zero and now you have, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a crap way to continue his story with this, you know, this woman that he's loved and has spent everything he had trying to save her. And now she is saved and she decides, you know, well, I'm going to go with my doctor. So I don't remember. Was Dini less involved in the new adventures? Um, I don't know about the new adventures, but it's, it's interesting that you, um, that you bring that up because uh, Paul Dini has mentioned that there was some friction apparently in writing this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because he really, he really wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was quoted as saying that, uh, I really wanted to do it. I felt if this movie was going to happen, I really wanted to be a part in writing it. It was one of those things where it was just a time commitment. Um, and despite the project ultimately being helmed by Boyd Kirkland and Randy Rogel, Dini still attempted to commit as much time as he could to it. He said, I did a few weeks work on it, sort of like an unofficial story editor going over the story and suggesting some changes here and there. I went to a couple of the recording sessions and added a few things here and there, but my involvement with the actual story was very slight other than providing the original stories they took their cues from and going in and making a few suggestions. 
Okay, that was so. It sounds like was who came up with the actual story, like the story outline. So it sounds like Kirkland and Rogel already had the story outline. Okay. Because uh, you know they had been working on it for a long time, and before Bruce Tim found out about it. Mm -hmm. So it does sound like they had the original story outline, and Paul Dini like came in and offered some tidbits, but he wanted to do more, but due to time commitments, he could not. And I, I got to give him credit for two people that I really don't, I'm not familiar with those names really at all. They did a great job with this. And we don't really discuss this. Like we talk about Mask of the Phantasm, Mask of the Phantasm, we always say Deanie and Tim. When we talk about this film, mm -hmm. I think I always just assumed it was Deanie and Tim. I, I don't think I ever realized that there were two other writers. So that to me is a, is a very good compliment to those two, that they did a good enough job where this, fits right up there with mask of the phantasm. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you uh, again. I think mask of the phantasm is a much better movie, but this one is a very, very good follow-up. And I think a worthy, you know, a worthy entry into, into this series. To me, it's just amazing that this animated series got so many movies. Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, if you count, Return of the Joker because it's sort of a animated series and Batman Beyond movie, right? Um, so if you count that, I mean, there's four movies. Yes, with uh, Mystery of the Batwoman. Yeah. So yeah, again, a notch in the belt of the success of Batman the Animated Series. And I do love um, that this and Mask of the Phantasm are included in the Batman the Animated Series Blu-ray set. Oh yeah, yeah, but Mystery of the Batwoman is not. No, Mystery of the Batwoman is not, and for whatever reason, Return of the Joker is not included in the Batman Beyond set, as far as I know. Uh, yeah, oh, I think it is. Maybe it is. I'm, I'm sorry, it is. I'm thinking of the Batman vs. Dracula is not in the new version of the Batman. Yes, yes, you're right. Um, which is a shame. Yeah, that is a shame. Um. But okay, so I do want to get into some more like production notes and some more tidbits of trivia. But do you have anything else of the about the story itself or the movie itself that you wanted to mention, Jeff? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh the one oh yeah. I how did we not mention the polar bears? <laughs> so I know this was a big talking point when we taught when we ranked the uh animated films with Holy Batcast, but I think we all talked about how much we love that Mr. Freeze had polar bears. And the, it, it even more so after watching this again on a rewatch, I love that he has the perfect pets for his theme. And, you know, they're, they're animated beautifully. Um, they're aggressive when they need to be, but they're also, they kind of, they kind of have this sweet side too, which is so interesting for animated animal characters. Uh, but yeah, I, I really love the polar bears. So yeah, and I, I, I love would have been, I'm sorry. I love that they're dispatched without actually being killed. I love that they survive still. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you don't want the animals to die. No so. people. Yes. Animals. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just a few things that I noticed when I was uh, kind of looking through the, some of the research pages I was looking at, um, according to Boyd Kirkland, uh, the crew was tasked with making a simpler, less dark, more kid friendly story than Mask of the Phantasm. And one that could be cross-promoted with Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin film. 
Um, and he said, with this in mind, since the last film had been all about Batman, we decided to have him play a less central role in this one and focus more on Robin and Batgirl instead. Which, knowing the characters that were in Batman and Robin, because, you know, we had the premiere of Batgirl in that, it makes a lot of sense that all three of them were in this movie as well. Oh, definitely. And I think that's, that is the huge selling point is having the three of them in it. I think that is why, as I'm thinking of it, but the more we talk about this film, that is a nitpick is that I wish we got more of Batgirl with them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Because when they say more focused on Robin and Batgirl, well, half of that's true. Yeah, Uh, There is more focus on Robin. It's very focused on Robin and Barbara Gordon's relationship, which I think is the big plus to this film. Mm -hmm. Which I, that's my favorite part of the movie is Dick and Barbara together here. And, and it, you know, like I said, Dick's chase to, to save Barbara is one of the highlights of the film as well. And I just wish, and again, in an hour and six minutes, how do you, how do you have Barbara be captured and still find a way to get her in the Batgirl suit at the end of the film? That's kind of hard. But I, I'm, I'm thankful at least they gave us a little bit of Batgirl in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. What's interesting to me about that, that whole statement about making it, you know, simpler, less dark, more kid friendly. That sounds like a line from WB at the time. Um, it also because doesn't of course, sound like they really went through with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like they kind of missed the mark on on that directive because this, I mean, not only is this a better movie than Batman and Robin by far, this is a darker tone by far than Batman and Robin. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it has darker elements, of course, you know, with the potential murder of Barbara Gordon and things like that. So I do think they missed the mark on their directive, but it worked out for the best. They I tricked think. them, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I didn't, I don't even remember, I don't remember this song from the movie unless it was over the credits or I missed it or something, but there's a song, the Flamingos, I Only Have Eyes For You. Yeah, that's got to be. Was this over the end credit? It's got to be. Yeah. So it was chosen by uh, Kirkland and Rogel as the two believed it helped make the show and characters seem more real and less of just a cartoon, which that in itself goes completely against what we just talked about with their directives. Um, th- I mean, that sounds like the opposite of anything Joel Schumacher, doesn't it? Yeah, it's definitely interesting, but I don't, to me, when I heard the end credits and I, I could be remembering this wrong, but I just, I felt like it was similar to the end credits to mask of the phantasm where they just had this, you know, pop song at the end of it. Yep, Exactly. Uh, And then back to the CGI, according to Kirkland, the CGI division employed for this film, Warner Digital, was set up out of a desire to incorporate CG in the original run of Batman the Animated Series. Ultimately, they weren't able to utilize the team until Mask of the Phantasm. And and we know that's kind of the cityscapes that you get in that movie. Yep. Um, But uh, in his mind, the implementation of CG in the film helped elevate Sub-Zero visually beyond the normal TV episodes by allowing the crew to inject more excitement, blah, 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 as well as keeping the vehicles such as the Batwing more consistent and solid looking. And I do think that's a good point, because as I said before, I think the Bat the Batwing 
and the uh, the sub at the beginning of the movie, I think they look really, really good. You know, you look at some of that 90 CG sometimes in animated stuff and it doesn't hold up so well, but I think it looks good here. Yeah, and even um, a little bit of the sequence with Dick's uh, motorcycle is CG and it looks great too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that one's that one's a little tougher because you do have a hand-drawn character on the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going but back I do, and yeah. forth throughout the scene. Yeah, but I agree. It, it does look really good. Um, but then a few, a few other little things, just, these are kind of just trivia notes that stuck out. Uh, did you notice what song was playing on a radio, um, early in the film? I was wondering if this stood out to you. I watched it with the subtitle, so it probably said it, but I don't remember. So it's very, uh, closely related to. Kevin Conroy. Oh, the the song from Justice League. Am I blue was playing over the radio. Yep. And it was in uh, it was on it was in Barbara Gordon's uh, apartment when her roommate was on the phone. It was playing on the radio in the background and it was like a jazz version of the song. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, because it just it it. That song makes me think of Kevin Conroy now. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and this predates the Justi- Justice League Unlimited. So it's just, yeah. you know, they didn't do it as an homage, but now it's kind of like a retroactive homage. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, then we had the cold comfort story. Oh, okay. Here's another one. So this is the first time that Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson are officially seen as a couple on screen. Uh, the relationship would later be shown and explored in Old Wounds, uh, where it would come to an official end after Dick finds out that she's back girl and leaves Gotham in disgust, blah, 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 blah. But that's something that I didn't realize was this is the first on-screen time that they're they're recognized as a couple. Well, we, we've discussed this prior, uh, maybe on our Dick Grayson episode a couple years ago, that even in the comics, they never really had a relationship. It was always like a almost they almost did, or they were close and it didn't work out. And like they had a a short relationship in birds of prey and they were engaged, but it never went anywhere. Like it's always been this thing that we've known they've had a relationship, but it, it hasn't actually existed as much as we thought it did. It's just always been in our, our consciousness. Um, luckily Tom Taylor has, has ended that and they're together in the current comics, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Oh God, that Tom Taylor run is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> read it. If you have it, everyone read it. Um, and then also this movie is officially the last time that Dick Grayson is Robin in the DC animated universe. Um, there's old wounds did come after this. So you see his last days as Robin, but in continuity, this movie marks the end of him in, in the Robin persona, mm-hmm. which I don't think I ever knew. Well, I mean, I never really thought about it, but it's kind of obvious because yeah the even the flashbacks for old wounds do take place after this though so i would consider old wounds so what is it old wounds aired prior to this is that why 
I'm not sure. Maybe old wounds. Uh, yeah, pr- probably because of the delay in the film. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, so far as where it was supposed to fall, I guess it would have been next to last, maybe. Yeah, because I still consider old wounds the the last. Um, those are the last scenes of him being Robin. Mm-hmm. Because clearly yep. Batman and Robin are on good terms here. So obviously some time right. has passed between this and the flashbacks for old wounds. Yep. Oh, and then Barbara's here's an answer to... drastically between this and old wounds. Well, there here's an answer to your nitpick about that. Um, so apparently Melissa Gilbert was contacted to reprise the role of Batgirl, but she could not take it due to other commitments at the time. So then it was given to Mary Kay Bergman. Okay. So there you are. She was offered it, um, but she just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then as a correction to what else, what I said earlier, and I'll end it on this, you know, where you're talking about the rotten tomatoes ratings. Mm -hmm. This one is actually in third place. The dark Knight is in second place. Do you know what movie is above the dark Knight? Well, if it's like a DCA, if it's like one of the straight to video ones, I'm not counting it. It's under the red hood. Oh, uh, okay. That's right. It's a hundred percent. So there you are. It's tough when with the animated films, there's only like 10 ratings for the most part. Like there's not a lot of reviews for the animated. Ones. No, you're yeah, you're right. But I mean, for, for something to be above the dark Knight, I mean, that's still, yeah. still impressive. I think. Um, but yeah, that's, it's just a little feather in the cap for under the red hood. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, overall, um, and I th- get call this my, my final thoughts on the film. It's quick. It's breezy. It's a very, very fun, uh, watch. Um, not perfect, but I do think a perfect ending to the Mr. Freeze story. Like I can headcanon it and, and look at this as the end and consider, you know, whatever happened with Batman beyond just whatever. Um, but I, I love the ending of Freeze's story here. I love how they resolve everything and I don't know, it just, it, it, it's a fun watch and one that I do need to watch more. Um, I always inevitably, if I'm going to watch a Batman, the animated series movie, I pick mask of the phantasm. Um, but yeah, this one, this one is a very worthy successor, I'd say. Um, and it's one that I had a lot of fun revisiting and can't believe it's 25 years old. Gosh, we're 25 years away from 1998. That is insane. Well, Um, so here's one thing we didn't discuss. Do you remember the first time you saw this? Oh, I mean, I'm sure I saw it and I'm sure I saw it on on TV in 98, I'm assuming, but I, I don't. So I, 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 I well, remember you, I rented it. I rented the VHS when it first came out. I remember like, I don't think I even knew anything about it or I saw an advertisement for it. And then I remember just mm-hmm. like, I couldn't wait for it to come out to rent it. And that's the first time I saw it. Um, at yeah. my local video store, seeing like an advertisement for it or something. Like mm-hmm. back in the day when we had no idea anything was coming out, we just saw an advertisement or saw the movie and was like, Oh, I got to check that out. Like it's, it's, it's weird to think back on those days, but yeah, I, I, I do agree. It's, it's a great, almost like a, you could watch heart of ice and maybe, um, 
another episode from the animated series and have watched this as like a, a Mr. Freeze arc. But I, I love that, like you said, Mask of the Phantasm is definitely the one I reach for the most. But I love that mm. this is a good sequel that is very different. You have Mask of the Phantasm that is a solo Batman film, um, an emotional film, an origin film to an extent. But then this one you get Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. They're, they're so different. They're, they're both great stories in their own right, but they have a different flavor to them to each of them and i think that's what's so cool about it and that's why i do need to reach for this one more because it'll this is almost like just a quick fun movie where mask of the phantasm is is more is a deeper film Mm -hmm. yep yeah i agree with that um i and i don't know how much lighter i would consider this film than mask of the phantasm but i do think it's it's more of a more of a brief fun film and, and you know, yeah, Mask of the Phantasm I guess is fun more heavier. because of, I think it's more action than Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. It's not as much uh, intrigue and, and kind of the noir aspects that yeah. Mask of the Phantasm has. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, but anyway, is it anything else you think we're leaving out or, or are you good on Sub-Zero? No, I'm, I'm good with it. Awesome. Well guys, uh, I would love to hear, your thoughts and opinions on, you know, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero. So let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, it's, it's one, again, like Joe said, that I plan on reaching for more often. But that is a great place to wrap it up for the day. So thank you once again, Joe, for joining me as always. Uh, so why don't you tell everybody out there where they can find you until the next episode? Uh, thank you for having me. And it was, fun. I also, I wanted to bring up the fact that I, our last episode was, uh, closing out Batman, the animated series, and we were able to sneak in one more, uh, tribute to it. Uh, yeah, I, that's on you, Joe, you, you brought up the anniversary. So yeah, so crazy how that worked out. But, um, but yeah, thank you. If anyone wants to, to look me up, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxd as, um, or letterboxd as J Forn 11. And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. And uh, I look forward to our next episode um, to to uh, spoil that. Hopefully we're covering uh, a new movie in a couple weeks, Eric. Should be. Our next episode, if everything works as it should, will be a review of Shazam! Fury of the Gods. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, make sure you go to out to the theater and support this film. Um, to you know, David Sandberg has said it online himself. The only way this continues is if we support it. So I'm looking forward to it. Love that first movie. So yeah, thank you, thank you for the reminder there, Joe. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's always it's always exciting to look forward to uh, to getting another film and and the fact that you know by the time we are recording our next episode, we will have seen it. That's fun. Yep, absolutely. Well said. Uh, so, so make sure you join us again uh, next time for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. But until then, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at carter 89 That's carter 89 uh, You can find the show's accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. Once again, if you want to support the show, you can do that 
easiest way you can do that is to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. If you leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show. We also read emails. So if you send us an email at tfrbatpod at gmail.com, we will check those out and read them on the show. But until next time, thank you so much for joining. Uh, This is kind of a capper to the Batman the Animated Series coverage, so that was a nice, fun coincidence. Uh, But until next time, enjoy Shazam, and make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Comics, or DC Studios. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. medicine. Nora Freeze has been revived from her frozen state and has undergone a vital organ transplant. Nora Freeze is the wife of the late Victor Freeze, who was killed two weeks ago when an offshore drilling platform exploded and collapsed into the ocean. The transplant operation, funded by the Wayne Tech Corporation under the auspices of its CEO, Mr. Bruce Wayne, was today declared a resounding success by Dr. Lyle Johnston, chief surgeon at Gotham General Hospital. Mrs. Freeze is reported to be resting in stable condition. Ironically, the cryogenic technology invented by Nora's husband, which tragically transformed him into the criminal Mr. Freeze, was credited by Dr. Johnston as having saved her life. It's a shame Victor Freeze will never know. In other news, Gotham's mysterious defender, the Batman, was seen last night helping police African